0: Hi, this is Shivaraman from Johns Hopkins University. So let's continue our survey of hepatic imaging by talking about solid hepatic masses on CT. I'm gonna concentrate mostly on metastatic disease, which is by far the most common entity in this category. And we'll talk about both hypovascular and hypervascular metastases. But I'd also like to talk about three other hypovascular malignancies that I think are important for us to recognize as radiologists, cholangiocarcinoma, lymphoma, and epithelioid hemangioendothelioma. So let's start with metastatic disease to the liver the liver is by far the most common site of solid organ metastatic disease in the body and that makes sense there's an extraordinarily large amount of blood coming in through the liver as a result of its dual blood supply now the vast majority of hepatic mets that we encounter in day-to-day practice are going to be hypovascular and that's because most mets or most malignancies which go to the liver tend to be gi malignancies or relatively common malignancies that are hypovascular like lung or breast cancer now I think when you're approaching a patient who has an underlying malignancy and you're evaluating their liver for small hypodense lesions, you need to have some kind of a rational, thought-out way of approaching these lesions so that you're neither overcalling or undercalling. So in general, my approach is that when I'm dealing with lesions that are over fifteen millimeters in size, I feel that I should be able to reliably distinguish a benign lesion from something malignant. In other words, I should be able to tell the clinician, do I think it's a benign cyst, do I think it's a benign hemangioma, or is it possibly a malignant metastasis? Now, I think, I think the vast majority of times, I'm able, to tell the patient, I'm able to tell the clinician at 15 millimeters whether it's benign or malignant, but there are going to be examples where I'm not going to be able to make a definitive characterization, and I think at that point, it is okay when you're dealing with lesions of this size to go on to an MRI, a PET scan, or even a biopsy. I don't automatically assume that lesions at 15 millimeters or greater are going to be benign because, in fact, lesions at this size have a relatively high risk of being malignant. Now, that being said, I think you need to have more nuance and you need to be a little more careful when dealing with small hepatic hypodensities which measure under 15 millimeters. Now, many years ago, Jones et al., in a study done in AJR, looked at about 1,450 outpatients who had a contrast in CT. Now, of these 1,400 outpatients, almost 17% had a TSTC in the liver. In other words, they had a small hypodensity in the liver which measured under 15 millimeters. Now, importantly, of these patients that didn't have a known underlying malignancy, 100% of these TSTCs turned out to be benign. In other words, if you have a patient who doesn't have an underlying malignancy and you see a small hypodensity that measures under 15 millimeters in size, you should be able to just call that benign. You don't need further follow-up. You don't need an MR. Now, Schwartz et al., in radiology, again, many years ago, looked at almost 3,000 CT scans in patients who had an underlying malignancy. Now, of these patients with underlying cancer, 80% of TSTCs still turned out to be benign. In other words, they didn't grow, they didn't change in morphology over time. And only 12% of these TSTCs could be definitively characterized as malignant, based on change in size, change in morphology, or a subsequent biopsy. Now, Jones and all, in AJR, again, several years ago, looked at 209 patients with a known malignancy and a TSTC, and he found that in patients who just had a single small hypodensity in the liver, virtually all of them turned out to be benign. Only 5% turned out to ultimately be a metastasis. On the other hand, as the number of small hypodensities in the liver increased, your rate of malignancy actually went up, and the odds that any one of these small TSTCs would turn out to be a metastatic focus was actually pretty considerable. So in general, how do I approach small hepatic hypodensities in patients with and without a malignancy? In patients without an underlying malignancy, anything under 15 millimeters, I just go ahead and call benign. I don't recommend a follow-up. I don't recommend an MR. They don't need a biopsy. I just say they're benign, and I say so in my impression of my report. On the other hand, in patients with an underlying malignancy, I try to be a little more careful. I don't want to be an overcaller, but by the same token, I don't want to undercall real lesions as well. In general, any small TSTC under 15mm, I'm going to say that it's statistically likely to be benign, provided that there's no suspicious morphology. For me to call a small TSTC as potentially malignant, I'm going to look for hypervascularity around the rim of the lesion, a solid component, nodularity, or perilesional edema. If I don't see any any of those features, I'm going to say that the lesion is likely to be benign, but I'm going to recommend that they be followed over time. And I'm going to worry a little bit more about multiple lesions. If I have a patient who has six, seven TSTCs in the liver, I may, maybe I'll do a little shorter interval follow-up. I'll follow the patient in three months rather than six months. So here's a classic example of a metastatic lesion. Notice that this is about two centimeters, so I should be able to reliably differentiate a malignancy from an underlying benign lesion. This mass has a solid component. It's got perilesional enhancement. It's got a central scar. It is clearly malignant, and this turned out to be a metastatic lesion from colon cancer. Now, while the vast majority of mets that I see to the liver tend to be hypovascular, the liver is also a relatively common site of hypervascular metastatic disease. Now, we all learned this mnemonic during our residencies or fellowships, MRCT-PET, and it describes the vast majority of hypervascular malignancies that we see in practice melanoma, renal cell carcinoma, choriocarcinoma, thyroid cancer, and pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors. Now, I practice at a center where I see all kinds of strange malignancies every day, but this mnemonic probably describes 95% of the hypervascular MEPS that I see on a day-in-day-out day-in, basis. Now, I think when you're dealing with hypervascular malignancies, you need to be just as careful with your protocols as you were with HCC. You have to be doing arterial phase imaging. Many of these small hypervascular malignancies or metastases are not going to be visible on the venous phase images, and if you're just doing venous phase imaging without arterial phases, you're not going to catch a lot of these small Mets. Secondly, I think that this is a really good indication for using MIP imaging. A lot of these small liver Mets are really difficult to see on the source axial images, and the MIP images can really make them pop out at you. Small lesions that you may have missed otherwise are going to become really obvious on the MIP images. So here's an example stressing the importance of protocols. There are multiple hypervascular mets in this patient who has a known underlying pancreatic neuroendocrine tumor. Now, they look really obvious on the arterial phase, but notice on the venous phase image, they are completely invisible. If you didn't have the right protocol in place for this patient, you wouldn't have been able to diagnose any of these liver metastases. Now, let's move on next and talk about three malignancies of the liver that I think are relatively less common, but are still important for us to be able to recognize. And let's start by talking about cholangiocarcinoma. Now, cholangiocarcinomas, for the most part, are adenocarcinomas that arise from the bile duct epithelium. The vast majority of cholangiocarcinomas that I diagnose in my practice tend to be sporadic. They occur in patients that don't have an underlying history of anything, no risk factors, but rarely I'll see cholangiocarcinomas who have in patients who have underlying PSC, choledogal cysts, certain drug exposures, or even chronic viral hepatitis. Now, when you're evaluating patients with cholangiocarcinoma, it's important to recognize that there are really three forms. There's extrahepatic cholangiocarcinomas that arise from the common bile duct. There are hilar cholangiocarcinomas that arise from the confluence and are also called Klatskin tumors. And then there are intrapatic cholangiocarcinomas, which is what I'm going to concentrate on. Now the intrahepatic cholangiocarcinomas can be further subdivided into three categories. There are mass-forming intrahepatic cholangiocarcinomas which present as large dominant masses that are usually pretty easy to diagnose. Then there's periductal infiltrating cholangiocarcinomas which tend to be more subtle. These are often just subtle amounts of soft tissue right at the confluence of ducts that are often more recognizable because they cause proximal biliary dilatation and lobar atrophy. The third form of intrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma are so-called intraductal cholangiocarcinomas. These are pretty rare. They occur within the ductal lumen itself, and we really don't see them that often in day-to-day practice. Now cholangiocarcinomas are fundamentally hypovascular malignancies, but nevertheless they have a variable appearance. On the arterial phase images in particular, they often will show this peripheral rim of hypervascularity, and you can sometimes see that rim of hyperenhancement on the venous phase images as well. Now, people often get confused by that. They see that hypervascularity at the margin, and they tend to think, well, you don't see that with hypovascular malignancies. But that's really not the case. That's a relatively consistent feature of cholangiocarcinoma, and it's one that makes me at least consider this entity. Now, on the venous phase images, cholangiocarcinomas tend to be hypovascular. But most characteristically, on the delayed images, cholangiocarcinomas will often show avid delayed enhancement. These lesions will often take up a lot of contrast on the delayed images. And if I see a lesion that's showing a lot of delayed enhancement, I'm going to think right away about cholangiocarcinoma. Now, that being said, while you may see a mass that has these, that has these enhancement characteristics, it's important to recognize that many cholangiocarcinomas can be extremely subtle. In some cases, particularly with the periductal infiltrating variants, you may just see a subtle amount of soft tissue that can be easily missed on the source axial images. You have to look for secondary signs to point you towards the right diagnosis. If I see a case where there is dilated bile ducts, often in a low bar or segmental distribution, if I see capsular retraction, and if I see associated segmental or low bar atrophy of the liver, I'm straight away going to look for any evidence of an obstructing mass. Dilated bile ducts in a segmental or lobar distribution is going to set alarm bells ringing in my mind. And now I'm going to look at both the axial and the coronal images. I'm going to trace those bile ducts towards the center of the liver and I'll look for any evidence of subtle enhancing soft tissue. So here's a classic example of a large mass-forming intrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma. Big mass. I don't think any of us are going to miss this. It's got that rim of hypervascularity in the arterial phase images, there's some associated capsular retraction, and notice how on the delayed image, there's a lot of delayed enhancement. Based on these enhancement characteristics, you've got to consider a cholangiocarcinoma. Now the periductal infiltrating cholangiocarcinomas can be more difficult to diagnose. In this example, notice how there's a lobar distribution of biliary dilatation. These bile ducts are just dilated in the left hepatic lobe, and none of the right lobe bile ducts are dilated at all. So right away, you've got to be thinking about an obstructing mass. And in this case, you follow those bile ducts centrally, and you see that there's subtle, enhancing soft tissue right at the confluence of the ducts, and that soft tissue is actually invading the main portal vein. Classic example of a periductal infiltrating cholangiocarcinoma. Now, as I mentioned before, people often don't tend to think of peripheral enhancement as being a characteristic of cholangiocarcinoma. But here's an example where there's a venous phase. Notice on this venous phase images that this mass is showing a clear peripheral rind of hyperenhancement. Classic example of peripheral hypervascularity. Now, oftentimes that peripheral enhancement is going to be more apparent on the arterial phase images. In this example, there are multiple intrahepatic mets from a patient's primary cholangiocarcinoma. And notice how each of these metastatic lesions is showing this avid peripheral enhancement. Classic. Always look for this on the arterial phase images. Now, the second entity I want to talk about is hepatic lymphoma. Now, it's important to remember that primary lymphoma of the liver is extraordinarily rare. In fact, I have never actually seen a case of primary hepatic lymphoma. Almost always, when you see lymphoma of the liver, it's going to be secondary, and there's going to be extensive disease elsewhere. You're going to see other solid organ involvement, multiple lymph nodes involved, and you're often going to have clear evidence that the patient has lymphoma based on evidence outside the liver. Now, in general, hepatic lymphoma can present as a solitary dominant mass, multiple masses, or in rare cases, as diffuse infiltrating lymphoma where you don't really see distinct masses. I've seen a few cases where lymphoma in the liver is just presented as a diffusely low-density liver. And the patient has actually been diagnosed only on biopsy because based on the imaging alone, it was thought to just represent steatosis. Now remember that these patients almost always are going to have disease elsewhere, so you have to use clues elsewhere in the abdomen to make the right diagnosis. So here's an example where there are multiple large hypodense masses in the liver. Notice that there's clues elsewhere. There are multiple enlarged lymph nodes in the retroperitoneum. Now, notice that these masses look like generally what you'd expect lymphoma to look like. They're large, they're hypodense, they're well-marginated, they don't have a lot of mass effect, they're splaying vessels rather than encasing them or narrowing them. Now, based on, these imaging, based on the Im- imaging appearance alone, I don't think you can make a specific diagnosis of lymphoma. But that being said, you are going to be able to suggest the right diagnosis if you use clues elsewhere in the abdomen. Here's another example. Large, hypodense mass in the liver, pretty nonspecific. It's hypodense, it's hypovascular. Just based on the imaging appearance alone, you can't make a specific diagnosis. But the presence of a mass in the spleen, the presence of a large amount of adenopathy in the retroperitoneum should at least point you in the direction of lymphoma. So let's end this section on hypovascular malignancies by talking about the most rare of them, and that's epithelioid hemangioendothelioma. So epithelioid hemangiendothelioma is one of the few malignancies where you're able to make a specific diagnosis based on the imaging features alone. And there are four features that I'm going to look for on these cases. First of all, these lesions tend to be hypodense and hypovascular. They're often going to be multiple lesions, and they tend to be found at the periphery of the liver. Over time, if you look at these lesions separated by three months, six months, and then a year, these lesions are going to become coalescent and confluent around the surface of the liver, and they're going to gradually result in significant capsular retraction. Most importantly, epithelial hemangioendothelioma will result in this characteristic pattern of peripheral enhancement that's often been described as having a ring or target morphology. So here's a really classic example. There are multiple hypodense lesions at the periphery of the liver. They're starting to become coalescent and confluent with one another. There's some subtle peripheral capsular retraction. And each of these lesions is showing that characteristic target or ring-like morphology. Now, we were able to, just based on the imaging appearance alone, prospectively suggest a diagnosis of epithelioid hemangioendothelioma. Now, here's another example, multiple, peripheral, hypodense, confluent lesions, subtle capsular retraction, and notice how that large lesion in the right inferior liver lobe is showing a characteristic pattern of ring-like or target morphology. Now, oftentimes, MR is actually going to reveal that target morphology slightly better than CT. Here's an example where I'm showing you T1-weighted post gadolinium images, and each of these lesions has that characteristic ring-like or target morphology. When I see that in association with the other features that I've uh, talked about earlier, I'm going to at least think about the possibility of epithelioid hemangioendothelioma. So why don't we stop here, take another short break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about a variety of benign and malignant cystic liver lesions.